in passage this week was the passing of Queen Elizabeth, who um, some devotees have told me is the embodiment of the goddess. And certainly she was a great yogini. She represents uh, duty, steadiness, steady wisdom, selfless service, and all these great qualities. So she inspired uh, millions of people. And uh, in her honor, we're going to do 27 goddess mantras. And uh, may this also uh, bless uh, Charles III. King Charles. What? King Charles, King Charles III. And uh, so let's do that now. We'll do 27 mantras. Uh, Rasake Namaha Om Aim Rim Krim Krim Shrim Rasake
had planned a, a goddess program tonight anyway, so perfectly appropriate. You know, um, this dates me, but uh, I don't have to keep that secret. Um, I remember when uh, she was coronated, I was in school, and uh, my teacher had it on on the radio, and she was very excited. I didn't, couldn't understand why my teacher was so excited. Uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, the coronation went on. I was a kid in school at that time. So, what is it, 70 years? Yeah. Wow. What? 70 years. Yeah, 70 years. <clears throat> so, I like to begin by my programs by uh, quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who always began his program by saying, in Hindi, Subko Varisan Mane Kesat Pemse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that welcome is the essence of spirituality. So, in that spirit, I welcome you all tonight. <clears throat> and these programs uh, are based on the idea of satsang, of connection, of sitting at the feet of the great beings. And my life's been very influenced by great beings. I guess I don't have to tell you. Uh, and so in this, these satsangs, we draw on the words, the teachings of some of these great beings. Um, tonight, uh, a goddess. That's her as a, a young woman, Mira Alfasa, also known as the mother of Pondicherry. This is her as a young girl in Paris in the 19th century. And then later, after uh, another one, this is her very late in life. She lived uh, almost as long as the queen. How old was she? Exactly as long, 95 years. 95 years. The queen was 96? <clears throat> and go on next. And there she is giving darshan with Sri Aurobindo. She was born in uh, 19, 1878 and died in 1973, November of 1973. And I was in Ganeshpuri, and we were just getting ready to go on the second world tour with Baba. And during my years in Ganeshpuri, people would talk about going down to Pondicherry and seeing the mother, who was very old, but very well respected. She was the guru of that place. Orbindo had died around 1950, and uh, Mother Mira took, took over and continued doing it. And she died while I was still in Ganeshpuri with Baba at that time. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> she was uh, born in Paris. Let's see, I have a bio here. Both parents were Jewish. The father was Turkish and the mother was Egyptian. Um, uh, 
So she's you know, possibly the first Western guru since Jesus. I don't know. But a Western woman and uh, guru in Indian traditions, quite remarkable. She studied art and then she became interested in spirituality. She studied with a, an occultist named Max Theon. Uh, and she traveled to Algeria to study with him. Uh, but then later on, she and her husband, Paul Richard, uh, met Aurobindo, and Mira got Chakipat in meeting him. And about six years later, uh, she returned to Pondicherry and stayed on with Aurobindo and became a prominent member of the community. And soon, uh, Aurobindo began to uh, call on her for more and more savor there and began to call her the mother. She became the mother of the ashram. In 1924, she began to organize the day-by-day -day functioning of the ashram, became, in effect, the, the manager. And then after 1926, Aurobindo became uh, secluded, went to retirement, stayed in his apartment. Uh, he only came out of that once a year to give darshan. <clears throat> and the mother, however, was very active and was went all around the ashram. She would go uh, check on people, go to their rooms, see how they were keeping their rooms, and uh, take care of everything, make sure everyone was living properly. Uh, <clears throat> and then at Orbindo's death in 1950, she continued his work uh, until, as I said, November of 1973. It's a great soul. These are some uh, question answers with Mira Al-Fasa. Uh, first one is a, a long passage, but very interesting. Uh, it was, uh, where is the date? Do we have a date on that one? Oh yeah, we do. I'll find it. No, I won't. You... Page seven, page. So what do we assume? Let's assume. Uh, there was 1952 and 54 around it. 52? 54. All right. Sometime. <laughs> <laughs> we have dates in some of them. Uh, question. Um, quoting the mother, I am with you. The mother would say to different people, I am with you. What does it mean exactly, this person says? When we pray or struggle with a problem within ourselves, are we really heard always in spite of our clumsiness and imperfection, in spite of our bad will and our error? And then here's the real question. And who hears? You who are here with us? And is it you and your supreme consciousness, an impersonal divine force? the force of yoga, or you mother in a body with your physical consciousness. So uh, is it the guru principle, or is it this person? Do you hear my prayers? It's, it's, uh, you can understand that the dilemma of a certain, uh, at a certain stage of yoga. Uh, so Mira says, a very interesting question. She says, I'm with you because I am you and you are me. I'm with you, that signifies a world of things, because the divine Shakti is with you on all levels, on all planes, 
from the supreme consciousness down to the most physical consciousness. Here in Pondicherry, you cannot breathe without breathing that consciousness. <clears throat> it's like Ganeshpuri. When you go to Ganeshpuri, that consciousness is with the, every in-breath. <clears throat> it saturates, she says, it saturates the atmosphere almost materially in the subtle physical and extends to the lake 10 kilometers from here. I found that charming. She could measure where the Shakti went. <laughs> and um, people always tell me, you know, um, the Shakti, that when they come up Oliver's Hill, they feel the Shakti. They say things like that. <clears throat> so I don't know how far out the Shakti goes, but that's uh, here. Quite what? Quite a ways. Quite a way, but listen, it goes on. Furthermore, that force can be felt in the material vital and on the mental plane and the other higher planes everywhere. When I came here for the first time, I felt the atmosphere of Sri Aurobindo. I felt it materially at a distance of 10 miles, 10 nautical miles, not kilometers. Says. 10 nautical miles, nautical miles longer. It's like two kilometers almost, isn't it? 1.8 kilometers, that's right. Uh, so that's a considerable, that's much further than Oliver's Hill, isn't it? That Orbindo is powerful. <clears throat> it was very sudden, very concrete. An atmosphere, pure, luminous light, light that lifts you up. I would feel that when I used to go to, uh, uh, for a, a break to Mumbai, Bombay, um, and then taking the bus back to the ashram. At a certain point, there would be a huge terror would grip my heart. <laughs> and it was getting close to the ashram, back into the, into the uh, frying pan or the oven. <laughs> he says, she says, many years ago, Sri Aurobindo put up a sign in the ashram. This uh, reminder you all know, the sign said, always behave as if the mother is looking at you because she is indeed always present. <laughs> this is not a mere phrase, not simply words. It is a fact. In a very concrete way, the mother is with you, and those who have subtle vision can see and feel her. It's interesting that she talks about the experience of the Shakti, that when she first met Aurobindo, it's a different order of experience. It's not anything normal. There are moments in normal life where you experience a kind of shakti, but this particular shakti is a new thing, and that constitutes shakti part when you become aware of that higher energy. But whether you understand what it is and, and value it properly, that's another thing. <clears throat> so he says, she says, uh, Sri Aurobindo introduced me to this shakti much later began to regard me as the embodiment of that force. That is very flattering, of course, and it may be true in some sense. However, I am, as he was, and as you are, a devotee of that shakti. <clears throat> it's a great mystery. As the person surrenders to the divine, the person merges with that great power. Each day I make my surrender to Sri Aurobindo and ask that his power works through me. In a general way, the Shakti constantly is at work, constantly shifting the psychological elements of your being 
to put them in new relations and defining to yourself the different facets of your nature that you may, so that you may see what has to be changed, developed, rejected. It's interesting to have a, a Western guru talk about the Shakti in a certain way. It's a different flavor to it. I think we can probably relate to it, or anyway, I can. <clears throat> but that apart, there's a special personal tie between you and me, between all who have turned to the teaching of Sri Aurobindo and myself. In this relationship, distance does not count. You may be in France, you may be on the other end of the world, or in Pondicherry, this tie is always true and living. We would say that's the connection with the inner guru or the inner shakti. And that is always there. It's not dependent on proximity. And each time the call comes, this is interesting too, each time there's a need for me to know so that I may send out a force, an inspiration, a protection, or any other thing, a sort of message comes to me all of a sudden and I do the needful. She's saying when a devotee needs connection, she gets it occultly. And these communications reach me evidently at any moment. You must have seen me more than once stop suddenly in the middle of a sentence or work. It's because something comes to me, a communication, and I concentrate. <clears throat> With those whom I've accepted as disciples, to whom I've said yes, there is more than a tie, there is a special shakti. <clears throat> this shakti warns me whenever it is necessary and tells me what is happening. This energy, this divine energy. Indeed, I receive intimations constantly, but not all are recorded in my active memory. It would be flooded. The physical consciousness acts like a filter. So she's saying that these messages come but it doesn't mean that she's constantly aware of it, that her personality becomes a filter because otherwise she'd be, there'd be too much input. But she gets them and she says, things are recorded on a subtle plane. They're there in a latent state, something like a piece of music that is recorded without being played. And then I need to know, with, and when I need to know with my physical consciousness, I make contact with this su subtle physical plane and the disc begins to turn. Then I see how things are, their development in time, the actual result. Very, it's very rare that uh, a being like that talks about these kinds of details, so very interesting. What do you think, Devi Ma? Yeah. Yeah, Devi Ma says, yeah. <laughs> and if for some reason you write to me asking for my help and I answer, I'm with you, it means that the communication with you becomes active. You come into my active consciousness for a time, uh, for the time necessary. <clears throat> and this tie between you and me is never cut. There are people who have long ago left the ashram in a state of revolt, and yet I kept myself informed of them. <clears throat> I attend to them. You are never abandoned. Interesting passage. In truth, I hold myself responsible for everyone. I have a firm faith that anyone who was drawn into Sri Aurobindo's field, even for a second, will be profoundly affected by it, whether in this lifetime or some future lifetime. I mentioned the other day just that I have that same 
feeling that anyone who comes to the ashram or comes into uh, Baba's ambience uh, will be profoundly affected. It may not, there may not be a possibility in this birth. There's no space for it in this birth, but at some point that, that will have that effect. <clears throat> so it goes on. Sometimes their consciousness is not ready to cooperate with the journey, so the journey continues below the surface of awareness. They have other things to do, things that are more important than uh, to realize the self. One's individual consciousness is like a filter. It makes choices and fixes, fixes one possibility out of the infinity of possibilities. In reality, the divine gives each individual exactly what he expects of him. If you believe that the divine is far away and cruel, he will be far away and cruel. <laughs> it's a good reason to examine your attitude. Uh, because it will be necessary for your ultimate good that you feel the wrath of God. We know a lot of uh, certain religions that uh, have that attitude, you know. He will be Kali for the worshippers of Kali and beatitude for the bhakta. He'll be bliss for the devotee. And he will be the all-knowledge of the seeker of knowledge, the transcendent impersonal of the Vedantin. He will be atheist with the atheist and the love of the lover. He will be brotherly and close, a friend always faithful, always ready to give help for those who feel him as the inner guide each mo uh, of each movement at every moment. So he, God is, uh, changes shape according to your expectation and your, your way of being. <clears throat> and if you believe that he can wipe away anything and everything, he will wipe away all your faults, all your errors tirelessly, and at every moment you can feel his infinite grace. The divine is indeed what you expect of him in your deepest aspiration. The infinite consciousness sees all things in a single glance, infinite multitude of relations between the divine and men. You see how wonderful all that is in all details. You can look at the history of mankind and see how much the divine has evolved according to what men have understood, desired, hoped, and dreamed of, and how he was materialist with the materialist, and how he grows every day and becomes near and more luminous according as human consciousness widens itself. So he's talking about the evolution of spirituality, the evolution of consciousness on this plane, and that as we grow towards the divine, and I think in my optimistic moments I see a general growth towards the divine, God then becomes more available. Each one is free to choose. The perfection of this endless variety of relations of man with God throughout the history of the world is an ineffable marvel. And all that together is only one second of the total manifestation of the divine. The divine is with you according to your aspiration. Naturally, that does not mean that he bends to the caprices of your outer nature. I speak here of the truth of your inner being. So 
The divine is with you according to your inner being, not necessarily your personality, although the divine takes into account the personality. And yet sometimes, this is what she says, he does fashion himself according to your outer aspirations, but doesn't give you everything that your dumb mind wants. During sadhana, spiritual practice, most devotees live alternately in separation and union, ecstasy and despair. This is by experience for sure. <clears throat> then the divine will also separate from you and, and unite with you according to your belief. One's attitude is thus very important, even the outer attitude. People do not know how important faith is, how faith is a miracle, a creator of miracles. You, if you expect at every moment to be lifted up and pulled towards the divine, he will come to lift you, and he'll be there quite close, closer, ever closer. That's the answer. Remarkable, isn't that? You like that? That's a remarkable answer. And then she goes on to say how to be near to me. <clears throat> Some guidelines about being near. You ready? In order to be always near me, really and effectively, you must become more and more sincere, open, and frank towards me. Try to be spontaneous and simple like a child in your relations with me. It will save you from many difficulties. So the sense of wonder that uh, Swami Paramananda is talking about. This is the, the uh, Vishmaya Mudra. You see, you know, this sense of wonder, as she mentioned, is the antithesis of being cool or sophisticated or hip. A sophisticated person with a lot of... <clears throat> would never be, have the wonder of a child. And they would say, oh, that's fantastic. They'd say, oh, interesting. <laughs> Remarkable. I can see it's in the influences. But never go, wow! <clears throat> be simple and childlike. Be simple. Be happy. Remain quiet. Do your work as, all, as well as you can. Keep yourself always open towards me. This is all that's asked from you. By that, open towards me means to be open towards the Shakti. Be open towards Shakti. For me, when I think of Baba, that connection is instantly there. When I go in other directions, I may lose that connection. But when I think of Baba, that connection's there. You have to keep that in your consciousness. It says, what you get from the Guru has nothing to do with what others have or have not. We get a lot of, uh, when midst devotees, we always watch what the other one's getting. And then we get freaked out. Or we get very proud. It said that when the, uh, the gopis would have Lord Krishna, and then they would get the pride of having Lord Krishna, then he would disappear from them. They would say that. <clears throat> your relationship with the guru depends on you alone. You receive according to your true need and capacity. Whether I see you or not makes no difference uh, to the help. It will always be there, to the grace. 
Physical nearness will do nothing for you if you do not establish inner contact. Without that inner contact, you would remain with the guru from morning till night and never truly meet him. The Babis tell this story of Rodya. Was that his name? Rodaka, Rodya. Rodkya. Rodkya. R-O-D-K-Y-A. But Rodkya. Yeah, we, we inquired after him. Anyway, he, he was very close to Bhagwan Nityananda, um, but whenever Bhagwan looked for him, he was out fishing. So he never attained anything, is what Baba would say. But he was always around him. <clears throat> it is only by means of inner opening and contact that you can realize the Guru's presence. So. A couple of other question answers. Let's see, we'll skip this one. Is this a good one? Question. This is from 29 April 1929. And so this would be during Aurobindo's lifetime, because she was answering, Aurobindo only answered by writing letters, uh, so they couldn't ask him directly, but he, she would give satsang and, and answer questions. She says, during sadhana, is it advisable for the seeker to read ordinary books? Can you read novels or other things? Uh, mother. <laughs> That's what, of course, I'll get to that. You can read sacred books and yet be far away from the divine. You could be reading scriptures till the cows come home. Uh, and you can read the most stupid productions and be in touch with the divine. That's Louis L'Amour. As I said, we used to read the dumb westerns in the, in the ashrams, but they seem divine. Uh, it is not possible to get an idea of what the transformed consciousness and its movements are until you've had a taste of the transformation. So you can't say by what they're reading what the quality of that is. There's a way of consciousness in union with the divine in which you can enjoy all you read and also enjoy all you observe, even the most indifferent books or the most uninteresting things and still have divine experience in those dumb things. You could be watching really dumb TV shows and be <laughs> having an ecstasy. You can hear poor music even music from which you'd ordinarily like to run away and still enjoy it. <clears throat> I've told you this story before, that back in my days before yoga, I was with a friend in Tompkins Park in New York City. Did I tell you the story? Tell it, you'll know. And um, there was a band playing there. And my friend turned to me and said, you know, if we were in cosmic consciousness, this band would be as good as the Grateful Dead. <laughs> it was a lousy band. I say, even in cosmic consciousness, it couldn't be that good. <laughs> she goes on, you do not lose the distinction between good music and bad music, but you pass through to what is beyond both of them. Uh, for there's nothing in the world which does not have its ultimate truth and support in the divine. This is a pure tantric vision that everything has its roots in the divine. If you go deep enough with something, even lousy music, you can find God. But the appropriate thing might be to run away from it. <clears throat> and if you're not stopped by what seems to be poor, painful, or discordant, 
but get behind it to be in touch with the spirit, the divine soul in things, you can reach beauty and delight. <clears throat> Great. One more, last one. Uh, question. When we are concentrated, this also from 1929, when we're concentrated in mental movements or intellectual pursuits, why do we sometimes forget uh, forget or lose touch with the divine? That's a very good question. We're totally focused on something. Why do we lose touch with the divine? And she says, you lose it because your consciousness is still divided. The divine is not settled into your mind. You're not wholly consecrated to the divine life. Otherwise, you could concentrate to any extent upon such things and you would have the sense of being helped and supported by the divine. <clears throat> In all pursuits, intellectual or active, your one motto should be remember and offer. That's the dharna that she gives, to remember and offer. You can have your own, whatever it is that connects you to that higher power. Let whatever you do be done as an offering to the divine. And this too will be an excellent discipline for you, will prevent you from doing any foolish and useless things. <laughs> so there you go. Mother Mira Alfasa. Alfasa, very wonderful, wonderful stuff. <clears throat> so let's meditate. What do you, what do, what do you use? What did she say? Uh, surrender, what is it? Remember, Remember and offer. What do you use to connect you if you're doing some activity? Do you use some little key, some mental key, some dharna to connect you? Yeah? Everyone blank? Both. What? Both. What word? Both. Yeah, well, what do you do? I'm asking for a concrete one. Breath. Look at the breath. Okay, yeah. Sharon and I, every now and then, say to each other, what do you think of Bhagavan Nityananda? Say that again. Sharon and I, every now and then, say to one another, what do you think of Bhagavan Nityananda? That's what you say to each other. Yeah. What do you think of Bhagavan Nityananda? <laughs> so you remember Bhagavan Nityananda, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Say the mantra. Mantra is a very good way. Yeah, the mantra is always a handy way of uh, connecting with that power. That's good. No matter what you do, whatever situation you're in, the connection is always, in principle, possible. And we just have to remember. Yes? I pick up my durian. Yes? And who would that be? She thinks of your guru and she's a little scared that what? When I angry, right? Yeah. She's scared that what? Scared that she scared that her guru is mad at her. But guru 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 will never be mad at you. Guru is always full of love for you. He might correct you. <laughs> only 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 to help you connect more fully with the Shakti. Yeah. Isn't that true? Thank you, Tony. 
all, all the gurus I know, anyway. What? <laughs> a little fear of the guru never hurt anyone. I was terrified of my guru. <clears throat> okay, very good. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> meditate on that self, on that shakti, that supreme shakti. And I profoundly believe, as uh, Mother Mira said, that just by turning to that shakti, just by attending to it, just putting our awareness on it, just by not forgetting it, by connecting with it, we can, we can have that experience. And that experience can come in many different ways. It can come as a, a rush of energy. It can come as a light. It can come as a feeling of love or upliftment or joy or peace. In many ways, it can manifest. It can even come as insight. And so whatever way it manifests for you, don't look at others. As she said, every, each one is, uh, each individual has their own relationship with that great power. And it'll come in the way that your inner being wants it. Your inner being may want all kinds of psychedelic experiences as Baba had traveling to other planes and other planets and having all kinds of things. Or your inner being might want peace, or joy, or love, or insight, wisdom, can become in many different ways. And so it's never good to look at another person's sadhana, but look to your own. Because that energy, that love, that power will come to you in the characteristic way it does. So let's turn to it now, turn to that space inside, that great power, and ask it to manifest more fully and more completely. And we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguru Maharaj, Jai.